you really need to find people that are actually passionate about the problem that you're solving. Um, you know, they think that, you know, what the company is doing is cool. Welcome to The New HR, a podcast for HR professionals who strive for more than just compliance and paperwork. We believe that HR is at the heart of any organization. So our show is all about meaningful conversations with HR tech founders and high performers who are driving change in the industry. From employee journeys to HR platforms and wellness in the evolving corporate world, we cover it all. Now, here's your host, Mark Jackson. Hello, it's Mark Jackson, and I'm the host of The New HR. And today we're excited that we have the CEO, Patrick Palm of Favro, um, a collaboration platform. Welcome, Patrick. Hey, I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. So I, I wonder if just if we, if we could start, if you could share a few things about your background, what has brought you to where you are today with your platform? So, you know, I, I guess, you know, I would call myself a, a, you know, a serial entrepreneur. You know, I'm a, it's my third time as a CEO um, and um, there's been a couple of other companies that started as well. So I think that's my you know, primary identity, um, you know, as an entrepreneur in, in the tech industry. Uh, mostly within uh, the you know the computer game part of the tech industry, but also you know things like you know deep tech and and uh, you know Favor is, is a SaaS company. Um, I'm also running a small investment company where I mainly invest in, in games and game tech, uh, but also AI, uh, deep tech, um, some beverage and food, um, more on the kind of let's say next generation side of things. Um, so it's it's nice to sometimes sit on the other side of the table. And um, I'm, you know, the, before this, I am. I, I was a late bloomer, I would say, when it comes to being an entrepreneur. I'm, you know, often when I speak to other entrepreneurs, they always have a story on, you know, how super early they started their entrepreneurial career, and and it wasn't like that for me. My, my parents were working in, you know, you know, government and, you know, at academia, and um, um, I was I was not set on an entrepreneurial career, um. But I, I had my first kind of interesting awakening uh, when I did military service. Uh, you know, I was I was quite a bohemian. You know, in in high school, I had you know long hair, sort of you know film society, and and uh, didn't really think I was the military type. But my grandfather on my father's side, you know, he was an officer in the military, and I kind of felt like it's one of those things that you have to do to grow up. Um, so I willingly uh, you know did all the tests and all that, and and then. I thought I would go into engineering groups and I was going to suggest, you know, to this officer that um, I would instead do some kind of photo ops because I like photography. Yeah. Um, and that plan didn't work out at all <laughs> because, you know, this officer, he said, well, you can do the photo ops, but that would be a waste of talent because you have really good test results. I was a little bit more muscular at the time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, my head in you know, the right place. So he was like, well, I wanted to be a platoon leader, you know, of this, um, uh, you know, Air Force Light Infantry platoon, you know, um, and I was like, well, that sounds like it's going to be very cold because it was very far up in the <laughs> north in Sweden. I was like, am I going to freeze my my feet off? And he was just looking at me. He was like, son, that's going to be the least of your problems. <laughs> you know, so, but but I, I made one of the best decisions in my life. I said, yes. And that was the first like very true leadership experience because before that, everything was just play, you know? And now suddenly, you know, you're like, it's minus, you know, 35 degrees Celsius. You have five platoons out in the field. You know, they need to be fed. They need to be warm. They need to perform when we, you know, simulate battle. Um, you know, all of these kind of things, you know, keeping morale up. Um, it was really tough. Uh, but 
made a long story short, I came out very good as I graduated as a shared course one. Uh, and, and then, you know, I was asked you know, if I wanted to continue in the, in, in the military. Um, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to university, but is there some kind of, you know, in the reserve kind of way? And, and there was that path. So, so while I was studying at university, Uppsala University, um, you know, then I, I had a chance to, to work extra as a leadership instructor and, and also as an instructor for, uh, you know, the Air Force Light Infantry. And, and uh, I learned so much from that. And, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, the leadership principles around the small autonomous teams, you know, far out in the woods, it's not so different from a small autonomous software team that's going to make the impossible, you know? So, um, I, it, 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 I mean, I learned that, that connection I learned later, but, but I just love the whole leadership aspect of, um, of things, both uh, practically, but also I started getting interested in it from a more academic point of view. So even though I was studying, you know, technology, you know, with all the math and physics and all that, and, and, you know, and also business administration and economics, I did also study to get a bachelor in, in social psychology. I, I never finished it. I was just one, one thesis away from it, but I did study most of it. And it was, it was just so interesting. You know, I, I love the whole, like, you know, how do people organize themselves? You know, how big of a difference is it when people organize themselves and perform poorly versus when people organize themselves and perform amazingly, you know? That that enormous delta was a huge inspiration, and and I mean later a few iterations here kind of led me into starting companies that are working with um, creating you know tools that can help uh, you know people organize in just a much much better way to help teams that are warm, <laughs> not out make help them be help them make themselves warm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So can you give us just kind of a synopsis of what exactly the platform is and who's using the software and is getting the most value? Yeah, so so Favor is a, it's an enterprise-grade uh, platform for uh, collaborative planning. So what that means is basically that um, you know teams in an organization, and, and in our case, an organization are typically SaaS companies, you know, software as a service companies, or it is uh, you know game studios and publishers, uh, they can be venture backed or publisher publisher owned or or on a publishing level, uh, and also some enterprises that just wants to be more agile in how they work. Uh, they would be our you know typical clients, and I would say right now there's, there's a lot of push around you know kind of game companies, uh, you know for us because it's just so much happening in that market, and and what they use it for is that they they basically plan and organize their work using our platform. So normally they would have before used things like you know uh, like Jira. Uh, or or Monday or 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 Asana or or spreadsheets, uh, and and different teams typically prefer different tools. So you might have some in, engineers they like one tool, and then you have some people in marketing they like another tool, and so forth. And and what Favors is very strong at and, and designed for uh, is that it it really adapts uh, to the needs of each of these teams, so they can actually run things quite differently. So instead of having like many many different tools, you know, maybe or maybe integrated uh, with Favorom, uh, you can use a single tool, and you can kind of like choose whatever way you want to view, you know, you know the planning. So so basically, you know, Favor as an agile tool is very agile in how it adapts to the individual team's needs. So that's kind of like step one of our design principles. Uh, the other thing is that uh, what really makes the difference in these organizations is if they can achieve high level of team autonomy and where these teams are aligning to, to company goals um, without the typical micromanagement or or the the say the, the the centralization that comes to you know with tools like for example Jira. 
So in, in favor, it's more, it's a decentralized model. And, and it allows leaders to be more kind of coaches, you know, more kind of watching flow, um, uh, rather than micromanaging things. So if you take a very easy classic example, you know, you have, you know, the product team and the marketing team, uh, in a SaaS company or a game company, uh, you know, like live games company, and they're releasing on a weekly basis or maybe even more frequent. Um, you know, having their planning in sync, uh, if you can have the teams taking care of that themselves, uh, it's amazing. It, it will bring you huge benefits uh, instead of, of, of trying to coordinate this, you know, by, by, you know, some managers just, you know, dictating. And, and, and especially now uh, in the kind of post-COVID era where um, most teams are working, you know, remotely or partly remotely, um, you know, no one wants to be a micromanaged by Zoom. <laughs> So you know, it's it's if the teams can can you know handle this themselves, you know, and, and you know the the manager can take more of a coaching role, you know, it's fantastic. It it just becomes way more efficient. And then of course, you know, there's there's things to this that have to do with not only between these teams, uh, it's also you know how you work with externals. So it can be external development. Uh, that's a classic case for us. Uh, for example, in the game industry, will you know a lot of let's say your art production will be with an, from an external company, and you want them to feel more like an extension of your team rather you know throwing you know, things over the wall. Uh, but it can also be things like, you know, working with a marketing agency or recruiter and having them as like an extension of your team. You know, and then, you know, finally, you know, it's a whole management layer. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a fact of nature that, you know, senior managers are typically, uh, you know, a bit more senior and it means that they're used to tools from yesterday. Uh, and now suddenly, you know, you, you get this like silo between what happens in, in teams uh, that may be working in a more modern way and what happens on the management layer. And you want to break that silo and also make that more collaborative. But then, you know, uh, the tools to use, in this case, while using Favro, you know, needs to be something that these these managers actually like to use um, and where it becomes more of a collaborative effort, you know, between the, the teams and the management instead of just like top down. I'm seeing a lot of connection between the military side and kind of your ethos of the platform, just decentralized command uh, initiative and also you know, the power of, of teams having ownership, you know, so they, they own the project as opposed to it being somebody else's project and they're being watched or told what to do. They, you know, they're, they're, they're much stronger when, when they're in that sort of a position. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you, what you're describing is basically mission command, you know, which, um, you know, if you, if you need to operate, you know, behind enemy lines or, or, you know, even not, not even that, but in, in tough, you know, if you stay, go back to like, you know, Operation Desert Storm, you know, very bad weather, bad conditions, you know, units need to operate autonomously. Um, obviously, you know, that kind of went pretty well, but um, but it goes back further. I mean, I don't know if you read a book called um, The Art of Action by Stephen Bungie. He's a military historian, but also a former military, uh, sorry, former management consultant at BCG. And he basically writes about this. He says that, you know, in, in, in war, um, we much earlier came to a point where everything was just so chaotic that like a very centralized command and control model was just not very efficient anymore. And, and you needed something else, which you know, ultimately is up to, you know, mission command. And what he's arguing in this book uh, is that he says, well, you know, business uh, have now come to the same point, that everything is just moving so fast, it's so chaotic that, you know, centralized command and control model just just doesn't you know do it very well anymore. So you need to you know adopt a, a, a model with you know much like high high level of autonomy with the teams. Yeah, your your team leads would be like the the NCOs, the non commissioned officers out in the field making decisions based on past experience. 
I have to ask you, sorry, I meant to ask at the beginning, where did the name come from? Just uh, Favreau? Yeah. No, it, it actually doesn't. It's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's actually a very boring story. You know, we, um, we had this uh, great consultant who's also an artist. Uh, and and our t- you know, many, a lot of people in our team are former game developers. So obviously, you know, they're very connected to more creative side of, of things. And, um, you know, the, the team clicked very well with her. And, you know, she had a very, very good process in how she came up with many names and how we kind of had a selection process and, you know, how we figured out that, um, you know, making sure that this name didn't mean something very strange, you know, in some foreign language. And then finally, you know, what, what ultimately made it, I mean, it was, we liked this name and we also liked another name, but ultimately we thought uh, we could make a much better logo out of this name than the other one. So this is why we picked Favro. Yeah, I got it. Okay, thanks. Um, so... You know, collaboration pa- platforms are, you know, quite competitive industry and there's a lot of major players. You mentioned them uh, at the beginning. Uh, I won't mention them again, but I was actually, I had, it, it's a two-part question is, uh, the first is, why did you choose to niche down and serve uh, SaaS and, and game companies? And the second is, I did notice on your G2 um, reviews that you actually have the highest user adoption in 2023. So I, I, I wanted you to give me some background on that as well. Okay. So, I mean, the first question is is a huge question. I mean, that's obviously what any of our investors you know, definitely want to discuss deeper, you know, before, you know, they made their their their, um, their investment. Um, I'll see if I can break that down uh, in, in, a, in a not too long way. Um, so, I mean, firstly... If you look, as you said, it's a very competitive market, and 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 one of the reasons it's competitive is because, you know, working together online, it's it's just such a massive market, and I think, I mean, we were going towards this anyways before COVID, but COVID definitely, you know, made it switch from that. The natural place where work happens is no longer the water cooler; it, it is actually online. Um, so. You know what happens. So, so the relative importance of the tools that you use is just much higher. You know, before you can be like, ah, oh, you know, we're gonna use some Post-it notes, and you know, maybe we do a little bit of documentation, and we're fine. Uh, but, but you know, that doesn't cut it anymore. You know, you 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 really need to make sure that you have. You know, your online setup is going to be extremely important for your company. And you know, one of the main things that, um you know, that many leaders don't think about is also that it shapes your culture. Um, if you are choosing tools that are very focused on a very, let's say, centralized way of doing things, well, then your organization is going to be like that. Versus if you're picking, you know, tools that are very highly collaborative, you know, you're picking, let's say, Figma for design, you're picking Favro for planning and collaboration, you know, you have a very uh, collaborative approach in, in, let's say, how you do with code, um, you know, then your culture is going to be like that. So, um everyone's i mean most executive leaders they understand the importance of culture uh, but they might not yet have understood uh how much the tools will actually affect that so um so i would say that there's it's, it's just such an enormously large market and and sometimes I, I i make it the comparison to to the restaurant business i mean you know people go out and eat it's like you know going out you know like eating is a huge market uh, but it's also ridiculously competitive, but but it's not without trends. You know, for, if you look at, for example, the restaurant you know industry, 
um, there are very strong trends around more healthy food. You know, people might still want food which is fast, but they don't want fast and unhealthy. They want fast and healthy. You know, um, and you know, if you look for example, you have a ton of apps and food companies. Um, you know, that has to do with the trend around you know keto diet. Just just to give you one example, that that didn't exist five years ago. That, that's a, that's like whole. It's a niche. But it's an enormously fast-growing niche. You know, from an investor point of view, it's like super interesting. But you also have like much bigger kind of mega trends that are disrupting companies like you know McDonald's, etc. So, so even in in something like huge, like you know, simply food, um, you know, the market as a whole might not be growing enormously per year. It probably grows roughly the same as the population. I, I might be very wrong about that. Maybe it grows faster or slower. I don't know. But 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 you know, taking the you know just just very ballpark numbers. Roughly like that, but then within it, you have you know you have trends that are actually very strong, and it's the same thing for us. You know, it, it's you know the whole collaboration space. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously we come from the, the agile background, you know, with agile software development, and that was like a big new thing in the '90s and early you know 2000s. But then it becomes became basically the norm within software development, and now it's more about like how do you do it well, but but in spreading, I mean. Every company. I mean, I will see ads by you know some of the biggest you know you know ent- software enterprises you know selling their their products, and everyone is going to put agile somewhere there. You know, they're going to be like, you know, this we we will help you make your business more agile because everyone understands that adaptability to very rapid market changes that that's everything today. So everyone wants to kind of be in that that space. Then in some cases, maybe it's more talks than ac- an action. But but you know so what I'm trying to say here is that you know there are also within our space, you know trends within, you know that huge market that are growing much much faster than than the rest of the market and disrupting the rest, and specifically then about SaaS and games. So if I start with games, well I mean who doesn't like games? I mean I've been playing computer games since I was a kid, and it's just such an enormously interesting market and. Uh, today, you know, it's bigger than the movie, you know, industry. Uh, I think bigger than the movie and the game industry combined, and uh, and it's just it's just you know the biggest cultural expression, and and also from a financial point of view, it's just way more money in it. So even though the economy is pretty shaky right now, there's still a lot of investment going into you know entirely new game companies. Um, so you know, it's just a very, very interesting market to be in, and and we always liked you know when it's very complex. And if you look at the games today, and this is where I'm going to talk a little bit about SaaS. Is that if you look at a game ten years ago, you would make the game over a period of time, uh, it's complete. You know, you put it on the CD and you ship it to the market. Um, it doesn't work like that anymore. Today, most games are you know live live services. So you know, you make the game, you know, you release the game, but that's just the beginning. That you know, that's where the journey starts, really. You know, and you're gonna you know you're gonna be ex- um, expected to release new things you know, every week. You know, both when it comes to new. You know features, you know characters, other art assets, um, uh, you know other content, you know events, you know how your community interacts. It's, it's highly complex and very fast paced. Uh, but the interesting thing is that if if I then switch from games, which you know if we talk about games as a service, which is basically doing the game version of software as a service, you know then you have all the other software as a service companies, and you know a few years back, you know we have this. You know, famous uh, you know Mark Andreessen quote of you know uh, software is eating the world, but but today you know that already happened. Today today is it's like 
um, you know, software as a service is eating software, you know? So every, everything is becoming software as a service. And, and what we're believing is that if we can be the leader within, you know, you know the, the absolutely most demanding SaaS companies and game companies are basically a subpart of that because they are, you know, one of the most demanding software as a service company, software as a service company categories. And then, you know, in the future, when enterprises are more aggressively becoming SaaS companies, they already started, but they, they will be moving, you know, in this direction. We will be very, very well positioned to take a much, much bigger chunk of the market. Interesting. So you're kind of like at the tip of the spear in terms of, you know, web future and, and just think that everybody else will start naturally gravitating towards that, that area. Yeah. It's an uh, interesting thought. Now, how, how about, how do you uh, account for the incredible user adoption? I actually haven't seen that, that award on G2 previously. So highest user adoption. So what would you say about that? Like, how did you, how did you acquire that? Um, well, I think, you know, when it comes to all of these, you know, I mean, I really like G2 because it's based on, 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 you know, reviews by, by, you know, people using the tool. Yeah. Uh, versus with you know some some other you know players out there competing with G two, you know it's more about you know what an analyst thinks, and and very often they will gravitate towards well who is the biggest, um, and I think you know you know when you look at our reviews, I think there's two parts here, um, one part is simply the the you know the product, um, which is. You know, it's a double-edged sword because we also we also get bad reviews. But the funny thing is that when we get a bad review, typically, you know, they're just trying to send us a signal. You know, they actually normally because sometimes we contact them. It's like, hey, you know, maybe we can help. Something went wrong here. You know, let you know what's the bug. We can fix the bug. You know, how? Why did you not find this intuitive? And and maybe it's more of a, you know, a training question. You know, very often that's the case. So often, you know, when we have a bad review, uh, it's someone who's actually very passionate. Um, and, and so, so you know, ultimately they actually really like us, but they're just so frustrated about that, those things that they do not like, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's, I always, you know, you have to remember I'm from Sweden and in Sweden we like licorice and the, the, the only the Finnish like licorice even more than we do. So I always, but, but Black licorice, licorice, sorry? Black licorice? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and, and the thing with, you know, black licorice is that it, it's a candy that not, it's not for everyone. Um, so I normally say that, you know, if you, if I can choose between being vanilla that everyone likes, but no one is passionate about versus licorice that some will not like at all, but some people will be like, this is the best thing ever. I, I would choose licorice, you know? And, and, and I think it's a little bit like that with us that, that I think even the bad reviews we have on G2 are typically, I mean, they even they bothered writing it, you know? Um, and, uh, and then of course, you know, we have a ton of really good reviews and, and on the good ones, uh, some of it is sort of about product, but I, I'm also extremely proud of our everyone in our team who is having direct interaction with our customers, because we, you know, over and over again get very good feedback about our customer service. That that you know, people say that you know this is a whole different level than than you know other people in the industry. And and I and, and if you want, I can share our philosophy behind that uh, because it, it was not by accident. It's not. I mean, everyone's working hard, you know? So it's not that we're working hard or have more people. We have actually much less people than others. And I think we have a pretty good kind of work-life balance in our company. Uh, but I, I can share the strategy um, because I I went to a seminar many years ago about kind of lean management. And they were talking about 
the 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 problem the problem and, and basically you know, the metrics of when you're putting very uh, low qualified staff in the front line and then they have to escalate tier two and then they have to escalate to tier three and so, finally you know there's someone who actually knows what they're talking about and and they, they made some metaphors with for example hospitals you know if you have an accident you have like you know 50 patients coming in you need to make some extremely quick decisions on you know where should who go and you need you need very very qualified people to do that um yeah, but if you can make those, so basically, if you're putting like you know, highly professional people in the front line, so you can make very quick decisions on well, what kind of need, you know, what what kind of problem do we need to solve here? Um, it 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 saves the patient, and in our case, it, you know, they're not patients, you know, they're clients, but it makes them you know much more happy because like they instantly feel like oh, I'm talking to someone who actually knows what they're talking about, and I instantly got help. Um, so so that's, so we actually don't have a very big team. Uh, we're trying to automate as much as we can. So a lot of the, say, the more simple questions, uh, we, we we go quite far, you know, in in how we, um, you know, provide a documentation for those things. But but when someone is coming and they have a question, typically our, the questions we get are quite are quite advanced. You know, it's a game developer saying, "Hey, you know, I I have uh, I have this external developer doing you know um, art asset development. You know, how do I set up a pipeline with internal signoffs for that? You know, in favor. I mean." That's not a trivial question, you know. And the difference between uh, the difference between you know, doing it poorly and doing it the way you were doing it before in some other tool versus doing it in a really good way in favor, you know, in in a way that only favor can do it uh, compared to other tools. Uh, you know that 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 you know delta is massive. And if we can you know you know help them with that you know very quickly, they're gonna be like, holy shit, what else do I not know? You know. Um, so it builds a very good relationship. That's great. And interestingly, you were talking about automation. I, I was thinking about something else that I wanted to ask you. I noticed about a month ago, um, you you launched a hub with more than 60 custom templates, which you know I love this this type of thing in terms of using your expertise and, and helping people. I, I do uh, user research testing and uh, the, the service I use just, uh, they have an incredible database of uh, uh, structure and everything set up by really professional, like PhD level ethnographers and researchers and stuff like that. So it it just makes it so easy. So I, what what drove you to create that library? Um, it has a little bit to do with your previous question. You know, we we felt that um, there there's like a middle level. You know, it's like you have the let's say the easy level questions that we get in our support. And you have like the really advanced one that where we absolutely need to, you know, be involved and and help the customer, which is you know included in our in our subscription. But there's also this kind of call in between uh, level where it's not trivial stuff; it's quite advanced, but it's also something we could automate. Um, you know, for example, that example I was giving before around, you know, hey, we're setting up an external developer. Um, that's something which is pretty good for a template. So we thought, let's just create a library of templates. Um, I mean, this um, this functionality basically have have two 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 parts. So one is that we have this whole um, you know sixty plus templates um, that are based upon best practices that we learned over the years. Uh, you can just click them and get started. Uh, and we're gonna keep growing this, so it will be more over time. Uh, you know, for example, now you know you have. Um, you know the scale agile framework being launched that are used by 
um, a lot of enterprises. Uh, um, it's, it's just launched now in version six, and um, and we will you know launch very soon a, a template for that for the version six. And a lot of people are, are asking about that because they're like, well, hey, we're interested in this new version six of 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 the safe framework. Um, you know, hey, favor, do you support that? So instead of like every time answer that question like yes, let us show you how. Uh, we can just say uh, yes. Here's a link. Just push the button and you have it. You know, um, so 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 that's that's one thing. But the other side of this is that uh, what very often happens in bigger organizations is that you know they have their way of doing things, they have their flavor. So if you take for example um, that template for how you will do uh, collaboration with an outsourcing partner, um, you know they can tweak that template. So it becomes their version, and then they can save it as something in their library. So they're basically building their own library, so Company X library of templates, uh, which is very organic. They can keep updating that and and, and so forth. So uh, that allows for a very modern way of doing a, a product management office. I mean, in the old days, the product ma- management office might be very, let's say, controlling. You know, they might say, "Hey, this is the way to do it. You know, you have to use this tool, and this is the process you're going to use." And no team really likes that. They're like, "Well." You know, thank you, but we're actually doing it this way. You know, and and it, it causes causes you know fric- frictions in the organization. So what you can do instead is that you can have a more you know agile product management office that says, hey, you know, we are we're more like moderators or let's say maybe curators uh, of you know how do we how do we um, get knowledge sharing between these teams? And you know, we're using this tool called Favor, so why don't you know you? Uh, share, you know, your template here in our library, and we will actually promote it to the rest of the organization. Say, hey, you know, this team, you know, they came up with this really, really good process for how to set up collaboration with an external outsourcer. Uh, you can benefit from that. You can, you just need to push this button. You know, uh, it, it, it's a much more modern and better way uh, to 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 create knowledge sharing. You know, in an organization. I agree. I agree. I I, I wanted to bring up a, a, a blog post of yours I read from, I think, late summer of last year, because obviously we're the new HR, so we talk about HR topics as well. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on remote work and how to build a company culture with, with IT. If you could kind of give us the high level. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also did a really good podcast um, with... Um, uh, the head of IT at uh, Volt, I think he had a lot of really good ideas about that. A very kind of forward-thinking head of IT. Um, so I can, I can, you know, I can recommend that one also. Okay. But um, but generally speaking, I would say that um, you have to you have to think about it. I was about to say from the beginning, but that might not be true. It's more about you have to think about it deeper, so to say. You know, you can't just take what you have as a culture and then do some tweaks and then now you're fine because then it's always going to feel like it's um it's a second best version and everyone's going to be like well I, we're just waiting until we can do it in the normal way um you know you have to you have to you have to think more deeply you know what does this mean uh, and and there's a couple of things to keep in mind that i mean this can be a very very long conversation so i'll i'll just keep i just give you a couple of points okay sure so um so one of them is that you you de- you need you need to have a, a setup around uh, asynchronous communication and collaboration. So, for example, using something like Slack uh, is a very good idea. 
Um, also, maybe have some uh, some policies around how you use Slack. You know, like when are, sh- are you supposed to be online, not online? Uh, what is expected response time? You know, things like that. So, and it, it doesn't have to be the same for the whole company. It can actually be different in different teams. Um, but 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 just just making some kind of policy or framework around like, hey, what's the what's the rules of the game? You know, in our team, in in how we use asynchronous communication over Slack. So, so that's uh, uh, that's that's an important thing. Uh, then, I mean, I'm gonna say the obvious, which is of course you know, something like Favro, we you know highly collaborative, highly asynchronous uh, when it comes to the whole planning process. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying the obvious here. Um, but then you have also things like uh, you know people where you just have to accept that different people are gonna thrive more or less in this environment. Um, you know, I, I I've been giving a lot of interviews around how to lead uh, introverts uh, before COVID, and the funny thing during COVID was that people that are let's say a little bit more introverted uh, typically thrived more uh, versus the ones struggling were extroverts. Uh, so I actually had you know I had more um, kind of interviews around well how to lead extroverts in times of COVID. Um, I give you a concrete example. Let's say that you know it's, it's it, you're you're you know working 100 remote because of a pandemic or for other reasons, um, and you're just suddenly you know calling on the phone, you know like a normal phone number, you know as someone who's an introvert to say, hey, we need to make a decision about this. Um, what, what you know, what do you think? Uh, that's very often not appreciated, you know. Um, you know, people that are a little bit more on the introvert side, you know, they want to have information beforehand, they want to have a little bit of time to think it through, uh, and they want to know when we're going to talk about this so they can be prepared, and then you have this conversation. You're going to keep the conversation, the, the meeting short, you make the decision, uh, and, and then you, you know, then you go. Uh, but, you know, in these times when you are very, uh, you know, highly remote, um, you know, the extrovert will typically love that suddenly there's a phone call from you, like, hey, I'm just checking in. How's it going? You know, um, everything fine? Just chit-chat a little bit. And maybe not have to do so many decisions. And they will actually appreciate that. Um, um, I mean, obviously, I'm doing huge generalizations now. Um, so I'm probably stepping on some toes, so, you know, who's listening? But just just, just reflecting upon these things. Because to be honest, most people, they don't, most leaders, they don't even think about this at all. You know, just thinking about you know about these things, you know, takes you very, very far. Um, and then you have other, you know, you have also things like company culture in terms of, um, you know, after work. You know, if you have a, I think I think it's always a good idea to make the culture about the work and not about what happens around the work. Uh, I think that's great in any company. That that's just my opinion. Uh, I think that leads to higher efficiency. Higher level of loyalty, um, trust, everything. But uh, but it becomes even more important, you know, in a in a highly remote you know organization because um, you're not going to have you know the Thursday and Friday after work beers because you can't. Um, and, and and if I think just favor as an example for us, it's also been great because we have a very, very diverse uh, group of people, who, you know, different religions, different. You know, we have some people that you know absolutely love going out having a beer with colleagues after work, but then we have people that don't want to have a beer after work because they don't drink, or re- because of religious reasons, or because they you know crazy cro- crossfitters, you know, and they, they don't drink because of that, you know, and they they're gonna go to gym instead, you know, they're like I'm not gonna go to the bar, I'm gonna go to the gym. 
you know so um so so for us it's very it's been easy to be more inclusive um and no one will feel like oh I'm, i missed that after work so i'm not really part of the team uh, everyone's really part of the team uh, even if they are you know far away so so what we actually do instead is that we play a lot of games i mean we always have a lot of game customers so when we have our friday all hands meeting uh we start by playing some you know casual games like you know stumble guys and things like that or among us and uh, and everyone can participate and then you know later in the evening you know we will do more hardcore gaming like you know playing warzone or or you know something like that um you know for the ones you know who like that so so it's um you know it's a little bit different culture and and you know we do have people going out drinking beer as well uh but but it's not like company culture you know sure so so tell me how do you attract new talent to uh to your organization and how do you evaluate your candidates when you're uh looking to hire them it, it's interesting I'm, I'm curious on your answer because you have such a diverse workforce yeah and i mean i'm i'm, I'm going to disappoint you that I, I don't think we cracked it yet really you know it's really hard um uh, firstly i i my experience uh, from not only favor but also other companies i i built directly or indirectly been part of building um you know you often find the people that really work out in the, the places that you didn't expect um and sometimes you make hires that you're very sure about uh it does not work out and then you make hires where you're like uh i really don't know but i'm I, it feels good and I'm going to make a leap and it turns out fantastic. Um, so I think, you know, one of the first things to you, you simply need to accept is that it's not a precise science. Um, I think the other, the other thing is um, for us, uh, it's been very, and I also seen this with many of our clients, to be honest. So I think this is probably a good advice. Um, you really need to, find people that are actually passionate about the problem that you're solving um you know they think that you know what the company is doing is cool uh, one mistake you can do is that if you hire people because you're using let's say a certain technology a certain framework and they say oh i would really like to work in this company because i really like you know that you're using this technology and i'm really, really interested in this technology that can go really really wrong because they have their loyalty to technology and not to the company and I say that you need to make a decision to actually change that framework because those kind of decisions happen all the time. Um, then suddenly, you know, you're going to have disgruntled employees, but for very unnecessary reasons, so to say. Um, so I think, you know, really, you know, finding people that really, you know, that, that actually like uh, the, the product. And um, what, you, you, can, you can interview around that. For example, um, if you have someone who's maybe been using a tool like this, I'll give you a great example. So, you know, a disgruntled Jira programmer, you know, so someone has been using Jira and it looks like, I really hate that tool. You know, it's like, if just anyone can make something better, you know, it's like, you would make life better for developers all over the world. And I want to be part of that. You know, that's a great, I mean, obviously we're primarily hiring the person for this person's programming skills. And, and some other um, you know qualities, but if that if this person have this attitude, it's awesome, you know, um, because then they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna be passionate about what we do. Um, 
The other thing I would say is that we are probably putting a relatively high emphasis on uh, adding to the team culture. So we do want to have a diverse team and we are, we're doing, I mean, we're doing a lot of these kind of psychology uh, tests and, and kind of pro- problem solving tests. And I know it's, it's controversial. Um, it, it goes in waves. Sometimes in the newspapers are saying it's, you know, are writing articles around that in a negative way. And sometimes they're writing articles in an extremely positive way. Um, so, you know, it's one of those, but. We don't use it as a qualifier. Um, well, we used to use it as a qualifier to some extent. For example, the logic side, and and there are certain profiles, you know, that we would prefer more than other profiles. In, 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 and it also is different for different kind of positions. It's not the same for a programmer versus a salesperson. But um, uh, but it leads to very good conversations. I mean, a person. I mean, I'm kind of giving it away now, but a person who is extremely stubborn and skeptic to this and absolutely don't want to discuss this result and think this is rubbish um you know that might be a bit of a red flag versus someone who said that was very interesting i really agreed with that and that but uh this is something i haven't really thought about it can actually have like an intellect a smart conversation around it um i think that's a very positive signal it's like okay cool this is someone who's willing to um you know uh, be open you know and, and, you know, in, in the previous podcast I was just doing, you know, they were talking about, you know, leaders that can admit that they're wrong, you know, how important that is uh, and how unusual it is, <laughs> you know? Um, and, um, you know, I, I think, I think, um, I think, you know, having that kind of open attitude, I mean, goes for everyone, including myself, like, you know, we're going to get things wrong. Um, but, um, but, you know, also you have to, you know, and again, this goes all the way from CEO to, you know, intern that, you know, you need to admit that you are wrong and adapt, but also you need to have an opinion because you have the, you have the flip side of that. You know, you have people who says, well, I don't know. I don't care. I mean, you decide. Uh, it's very, very hard to be a team member to, to someone like that and, and also very hard to be a leader. Uh, when you have people like that in your team, because then everything is your problem. Um, you know, you, you and 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 in, in a in a in a highly autonomous team, basically everyone's a leader. So you know, everyone's gonna, you know everyone you know every person in the team is going to be the best at something in that team. And when you get to the point where you know that people needs to like speak up and say, you know what, I think this and this and this, doesn't mean that everyone's going to be like, okay, you know, you know best, let's do this. But you know, it it should be the starting point of a conversation, and then you know you decide, you know A or B. But but just you know having that dynamic is like so important. Um, so you know to summarize, you, know, you don't want to have people who can never be wrong, but also you don't want to have people who who doesn't dare having an opinion. You know you need you need you know balance in between. Somebody that doesn't always blow with the wind, and somebody that isn't resistant to being. Yeah, you have to have openness, but definitely letting all of the people know on your team that you expect leadership from them and and teaching them how to lead up the chain of command because traditionally everybody thinks leadership is you know top down right that's that's the way leadership flows uh from from you know recent experience with me it it flows better actually from the bottom up you get people that are engaging directly with your customers and they have the real gold in terms of what your customers uh, want and are feeling. And, uh, um, you know, as a CEO, you're just one guy, you have an entire team of people and, 
And I'm sure you have great ideas, but uh, I'm sure they have a lot more great ideas just because of the fact that there's the sheer number of, of, of people on the team and making sure that there's a, a good flow back and forth. How, how can your tool help remote, remote teams build strong connections between them? So maybe I can, I, I can start with something you just said in the previous kind of seg- sentence uh, as, a, you know, as a segue there, because um, one thing that, um, you know, the, the previous company uh, um, I was CEO of, um, Handsoft, one of the things that um, the team got really good at, um, the team, you know, became, they were extremely, you know, when, when uh, you know, my fellow, you know, fathers and I sold that company, um, you know, the, 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 the buyers, you know, they didn't need us. We were totally redundant because this team was running itself. And one of the things they did, one practice they had that was, they were really good at was that every time, you know, when they were, you know, prioritizing, you know, different, um, you know, f- you know, features to develop, or if it was a marketing campaign or basically anything in a company, uh, but, but, you know, developing a new features, is a pretty, you know, clear example. Uh, what they always had to, to link, you know, in the tool, and you can do the same in favor, by the way, but you, always, you had to link, you know, in the tool, uh, you're like, you know, which of our kind of company initiatives or, you know, company epics, as it was called, uh, does this relate to? So, you know, the, the, the things that we now have decided that we're going we're gonna to prioritize and we're going to put effort into uh, which which initiative does this correspond to? Uh, and it makes it very easy for leadership. It, it, it really allows the bottom-up leadership, as you were mentioning, because um, you know the, the 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 top person doesn't have to say you know do this, do this, do that, and the team you know basically aligns. You know, with, it's like okay, the list of initiatives is very clear, good, and now we're making we're committing to doing these kind of things for the coming month. Or coming, you know, two weeks if you run two week sprint, um, because you know these are related, you know, to to those initiatives, um, and you know, and, and and this is you know going back to you know this this saying you know that you know um, you know uh, alignment enables autonomy, so you know the team here you know they they are extremely autonomous, uh, but they can be extremely autonomous because they always they are themselves aligning. You know, to you know where this company is going. You know, it doesn't have to be a top-down process. It's actually, you know, very kind of well, it goes both ways basically. So I think I think that's a great example, very practically. You know what what this looks like because the thing that very often goes wrong uh, in many teams is that you know you get into, and especially like really big corporates, but it can happen in small organizations too. That you will have you know um, teams or team members saying that you know, hey. You know, I want to be more autonomous. I want to do whatever I want. It's like, well, you know, it's it's a, it's not a kindergarten. You know, it's a company. You know, there's there's actually, you know, this there, there are things we need to align to. And I mean, um, if 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 you are very good at constantly picking the right things and doing it in 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 the right way, and and the right way depends, of course, you know, if it let's say. If it's a game company, it might be around a creative vision. Um, you know that's going to earn a lot of trust, and then you get even more autonomy. So you know trust enables autonomy, and trust comes from you know alignment. So you know there's this um, 
you know, you, you you need to get those kind of things right, and and it's definitely much easier said than done. And and you know, this is maybe not a very popular thing say to thing to thing to say, but it's really not only a question around the leaders you recruit. It's equally a question around the team members you're hiring, because you can have amazing leaders. Um, but it's going to be no use if you don't have a team that you know understands these things or even or cares. Um, and you know there are companies where they have a company culture where you will have you will have you know people say, well, just just tell me what to do. I, I don't you know I don't I don't want to. If if I need to tell what I'm going to do, I want to be a lead. I want to be a lead and have a higher pay. You know, and 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 also it's a difference between countries here. Uh, you know, this comes a little bit more naturally in some countries, like for example Sweden, and and you know, let's the, the, say the more uh, command and control model works relatively better in in some other countries. So you know, it's it's you know, these things are are pretty hard. You know, sometimes you know, if you do like an agile leadership course, it will be like, okay, self organizing teams is great. Just just let them go and do what they want. It's like, well, sure, you can do that if you have an endless amount of money, but but uh, it it's actually not the road to success. You know. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit more complicated. So, that's great, great, uh, great thoughts. Um, I kind of wanted to bring it back to yourself. So, obviously, you use your own platform. So, is there anything that your platform has helped you with in terms of automating your day-to-day planning or 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 any tasks? And uh, do you have and, and do you have any examples of how you run things? Internally, well, I, I think the, I think the big thing is that you know both my two um, fellow founders and I are, you know, we, we kind of you know product people at heart. So when we think about these kind of platforms, we we definitely think about it as a way to create products in a very efficient way. We think about the, the very complex process of creating a product. But one of the things that have been extremely helpful, you know, for me, is that people I have around me that are into, you know, people management, you know, administration, uh, you know, marketing, um, you know, seeing them, you know, being able to to use our platform in a very very efficient way, and and allow them to be not not only super efficient, but you know, being efficient, you know, by being much more autonomous. Um, I mean, if I take you know, our company just just seeing how product and marketing is collaborating on a weekly basis. With, I mean, if you ask my teammates, they will probably say that I interfere from time to time and have opinions about things. But if I just if I take a meta view on this and I would compare it to just generally organizations, they they are extremely autonomous in in how how you know the whole process of releasing new feature. What does that mean in marketing? What does it mean in what we're pushing out to our customers? That whole process is extremely autonomous in our company, um, and um, and I'm you know I'm very proud of that, um, and um, you know that that's something that that the tool enabled, and it would look very very different if we would not have had Favro. It's good to hear that they're autonomous because quite often, you know, leaders can kind of be roadblocks to to things and slow things down, whereas if people have control. It can work decentralized. They uh, the the velocity definitely increases. I find. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, again, as I said, I mean, if you would ask, you know, let's say, 
you know, the, 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 you know, visual designer in our marketing team, you know, he would probably say that I am more of a blocker than he would like, because sometimes I do have an opinion. <laughs> but then I compare that to, you know, a game studio maybe I worked with before, where, you know, they have decided that every art asset needs to be signed off, you know, by, by C or someone. And what the team that needs to be doing is that they need to start deciding a process where they circumvent this because it's not possible. And, and you start having an organization which is just, you know, very, very political and very, uh, it's, it's like they have one official way of working, but then they have, a, you know, then they have a, the, the real way of working. And, uh, and I, I would like to think in our case that, you know, whenever we actually have a little bit of friction around something did get a little bit blocked, you know, because I didn't need to look at it and I was not as fast as they wanted. Because that typically happens when you see you, um, you know, it's seldom enough that they care. You know, it's seldom enough that they give me shit for it. Versus, you know, in, in I would say most companies, they're not even going to bother giving shit to to the boss about this because they know it's you know we're just so far from you know any level of, of true autonomy. So they just find ways around it. And, and uh, yeah, we can talk about this for a long time. I've seen so many interesting <laughs> examples. Um, so, what can we expect from uh, Favro in the in the future? So, um, we have some very very exciting um, you know things to be released soon. Um, I think uh, you know one of the one of the areas where we are relatively weak is uh, dashboards. You know, basically how you do reporting, and especially for teams within the quality assurance in uh, game and software development, this is important, but also for other teams. Um, and I think this is where one of the areas where we're a little bit weak compared to, to Jira. Um, so uh, we, we've been showcasing an early working version of this for uh, several of our customers. And I mean, they're absolutely raving about it. They think it's awesome. You know, they want to have the early access. Um, and um, I, I think, you know, when we release this in the very near future, it's going to be something pretty big. Um, we also have built a very advanced system for uh, aggregation or completion. Basically, what that means is that if you look at, well, you have normally two alternatives uh, with the tools that are out there today. Either uh, you, it's, it's, it's simply just chaos and siloed. So everyone's using different tools and you just manually have to kind of report some kind of aggregation up and you end up having, you know, manager admi administering spreadsheets um, with that data or even uh, administrating or, or you know putting together powerpoint presentations um and then you have the other version which is um uh you know very highly uh centralized um so it's just there's a very linear way of doing this um that might satisfy um on the top because they like well we get the report that we want uh, but the problem is that it doesn't really bend to uh, the kind of agility which is needed in the teams, so it it it's a big, you know, impediment for for teams actually working in a good way. Um, and favor up until now has been reasonably good at this, but it's been relatively dependent also on setting things up in the right way, where things can be very very agile. You can have a higher level of autonomy in the teams, but to get the aggregation right, you know, you you have to set things up in the right way. And also, maybe actually an even bigger problem is that you also need to have a little bit the right methods for this you know you, you have to be uh you have to be quite progressive in in how you use agile methods you know if you if you have too much of a blend between traditional agile 
it's not going to work so well. So what we what we've done now is a is, is a very I would say a unique system in in the industry where you know how in in a very flexible way you can set up how aggregation works. Uh, so even if you have some teams that are working in a more traditional way, so they set up their favorite collections, uh, maybe not in a very agile way. You know they're using it, you know, in in a quite traditional fashion. And then you have other teams that maybe work in a very very agile way. They say that they are both. Um, working on stuff which is connected to, to the same, you know, bigger objective, uh, you can actually create now an aggregation uh, in a very simple way. You know, you don't need any like engineers or IT to do to do this for you, like with other tools. Uh, you know, the teams can set this up themselves. Uh, so it aggregates up to to basically a completion, uh, you know, progress on a higher level. So, so you know, this kind of whole pyramid of how uh, progress happens um, you, you can make that happen without having to like, you know, basically code it. You know, you can, you can just it's like plugging cables together, you know, on the way, you know, and the teams can do this themselves. That's great. Um, do you have a free demo with your um, platform? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we well, firstly, you can uh, you can use it for free for fourteen days, um, and we have you know many different on our website. We have you know articles uh, kind of connecting best practices with the practical examples in the tool. We have what we call uh, how-to classes, which is you know very very hands-on. Like you know, here's the like for example, how do you work with what does a task mean in a modern work environment, and what does that look like in favor? And a couple of different flavors, so extremely hands-on, you know, so stuff like that. Uh, and then of course, you know, we have we have the the podcast where we will talk much more on the kind of level that you and I are talking right now, where you know I, I would interview people like, you know, hey, um, how do you recruit? The best talent to a game studio 2023 you know what's different this year compared to two years ago stuff like that on that just can you share what is different now between two years ago in terms of recruiting top talent for gaming <laughs> well uh, maybe it was, it was bad i said two years ago because that was in the middle of COVID. so um uh, obviously you know COVID made everything so maybe an easier comparison is between you know like now and and before COVID. Uh, and i think i think you know um big difference is some of the things we talked about today that uh, you know the, the more progressive companies they have they have definitely realized yeah that you need you need talent i, I call it t-shaped personalities you know like you know they need to have a depth they need to have that speciality that you hire them for uh but they also uh, they need to have a more of a you know wide kind of you know breadth of understanding out of things because that makes it so much easier for them to collaborate with others so you know, if you, for example, recruit a, a programmer, um, you know, in, in a game studio, if that programmer has a pretty good feeling for, well, what what does it take to make good design? Um, you know, what does you know good, let's say, level design look like? What does good character design look like? You know, uh, also if they understand a bit of production, it's like, well, you know, how what 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 is good leadership? You know, within the team, um, instead of just pointing to like, well, you're the boss, you do it. Actually, I'm style like, well, you know, how do we lead ourselves in this in this team? You know, having, you know, if you have people with those like T-shaped personalities, if you have a group of that, you're just going to work so much better together. So you, you really want to look for that. And I think people uh, that were recruiting didn't, you know, they, they were thinking more around the, the depth of the speciality before. Um, well, before wrapping up, um, I guess I should first say that I love black licorice, just put that out there uh but the question that we ask every guest just kind of at the end to wrap up is 
what do you think the the future of the HR and collaboration industry is? And we normally ask five to ten years, but like I always say, it could be five to ten months. What what does what does the future look like from where you're sitting? Well, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna state probably the very obvious that everyone's thinking right now, and that is that AI will play a big part. Um, yeah, you know, it's just unavoidable, um, and it's gonna. I mean, there are already many companies started now that are doing some interesting things. Um, but I think if we if we think you know five years in the future, there's gonna be things that we didn't we didn't think about today. Uh, well, someone is maybe thinking about it today and starting that that new startup. Um, that's going to be something really cool um, in five years. But, but I think from an HR point of view, also it's very um, it's also complicated because at the same time, as we have everything happening with AI, we also have a very strong trend in, in not only in Europe but the whole world around uh, data privacy. Uh, and and this is very you know un, unaddressed question you know right now. I mean this this is this is a you know bomb waiting to explode in in a way you know. Because when you start applying a lot of AI to to things that has to do with people, uh, you're also getting into a territory where it's also getting scary, uh, and and certain people are going to think it's very scary, and certain people might not care. Uh, and then we will also be we will see what the legislators are going to do here. Um, so it's you know it, it it's going to be a very bumpy road for sure. Uh, but bumpy roads are interesting. Yeah. So, that. Um, you know, if everything is just stale and status quo, you know, it's no fun being in that market. And and if you have an in, if you have an industry that's just going through like a lot of change and disruption, uh, it's it's a more interesting space to be in. And that's where we grow as well. Um, so thanks so much, Patrick, for your time. I know you're you're very busy. So where can people learn, you know, more about your platform and get in touch with you? We'll 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 definitely include some links in the show notes. Uh, yeah, so the easiest is you know simply you know uh, favro.com. Um and um, you know if you want to find you know uh, you know those articles and how-to classes and you know podcasts you know that I was mentioning, I mean just go to Favor Academy on that website and you have everything there. Um, and um, I mean I'm also on, on Twitter like everyone else, you know simply at uh, Patrick Palm. Um, and uh, I mean I guess LinkedIn is probably the platform I use the most. Um, so people are welcome to follow me there as well. I, I do post um, mostly cool things about favor there, but from time to time, something a little bit more personal as well. So that's great. That's great. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to The New HR. We hope this episode has given you some fresh perspectives and practical ideas for improving your workplace. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to connect with us. And before you go, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel so you don't miss any episodes. Until next time.